in the first six weeks, we, we hit 100 sales. In the following six weeks, we've done about 250 sales. At Founder, we're on a mission to democratise entrepreneurial education and on our way to building one of the largest online schools in the world for entrepreneurs. We interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it so you can too. However, in this series, we're doing things a little differently. We're working with our own students in our community who are deep within the process of building our own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow, who've stood where you are and are on the way to building the business of their dreams. Now, before we jump in, our lawyers have told us to tell you this. Of course, we can't guarantee you'll have the results like some of our stories are about to share in this show. And as you know, with any business, it's a lot of hard work in addition to completing any online course. And with that said, welcome to From Zero to Founder. Molly here. I'm the community manager for Founder Magazine and welcome back to the series From Zero to Founder. Today I'm sitting down with one of our Start and Scale students, Sarah Morrissey, who has run and opened her own dog bakery. It's called Bo Bickies and she's managed to grow from zero to 10k a month in just three months. She has such great advice and I'm really excited to sit down with her. So let's get into it. Hi Sarah, welcome. Why not start by introducing yourself? Hi Molly, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. Uh, so my name is Sarah Morrissey and I started Bo's Biscuits, which is a dog baking mix biscuit business. That's a bit of a mouthful, um, going back just uh, nearly three months ago. Incredible. And you've grown so much in the three months, which I'm very excited to speak to you about later on in the episode. But going back a little bit, what was your life before starting your own business and Bo's Biscuits? Well, we're, we are based in Victoria. So for the last two years, I guess we've been um, affected by lockdown after lockdown. Previously, I had been running and I still do actually run, although I'm winding it down, my another business, which was a service-based business, a children's radio station. Um, and that really worked off uh, selling sponsorships to corporate partners. And I found that when COVID hit, we had been working with small to medium businesses and I, the selling sponsorships was really a hard, hard gig. We also had another arm to that business that was fundraising. So the fundraising campaigns we continued to run, we've raised over 200000 for our charity partners. But I really felt when COVID hit that I wanted a product-based business. I wanted a, a business that was kind of COVID safe didn't know what that would be. We had a dog, 11-year-old uh, dog whose name was Bo, and unfortunately he passed away from bone cancer in May this year. Uh, and then about a month later, I was talking to a girlfriend who had a baking business for humans, and I was looking into that and I realised that there was probably a pretty big market there for baking mixes for dogs. And then really within about four weeks, I set up a Shopify store, I created the packaging, sort of worked on the branding, which I hurriedly did in Canva, and I'm now learning about getting that done properly. <laughs> um, and I launched on the 14th of July. So it's really been a bit of a whirlwind going from what has been a service-based business for the last seven years into a product-based business, which I'm really loving. It's so interesting. And as you mentioned, it, it has really catapulted you from, you know, three months to now, who would have thought you'd be here. But I would love to know the differences in your perspective between a service business and a product and what maybe some of the learnings you've had kind of starting a product-based business compared to what you have done in the past. Uh, oh, it's so different. So there's been a lot of learnings with the product-based business because I didn't really I never really thought product-based before, so it was always service-based. And I, I found that the, the cycle to 
bring in money into the service-based business was such a long, long cycle. So to try and sell a sponsorship sometimes would be a 12-month conversation and relationship building with corporate partners for a $10,000 sponsorship. So it was like, it was a really, really hard gig. Um, with a product-based business, I found, uh, I guess, as long as I know who my market is, and it's not like I sell baking mixes, I sell to fur mums who love to bake for their dogs. So, uh, and I think that that has kind of enabled me to be able to step into the product-based business and sell relatively quickly. Like we're obviously nowhere near where I'd like to be and we've still just started. But, um, and I, you know, I just even, I love the, the packing and sending and the variety that each day is sort of bringing at the moment and looking at the packaging and looking at the, the opening of the box feeling that, that um, our customers are getting when they receive it. I love seeing um, pictures of their dogs eating the biscuits and pictures of their baking coming out of the oven, which we didn't have as strongly with our service-based business in the past. We did with the charity side um, and I guess, that charity side is still extremely important to me. So a dollar from every sale with Bose Biscuits, biscuits we donate to charity as well. And my aim with Bose Biscuits is to raise 200000 plus like we did with our children's business. It's incredible. I answered your question. <laughs> oh, definitely answered my question. And I think, you know, there's been so many learnings and I think that's a great thing because a lot of people listening might be looking to do a similar transition or maybe after, you know, all the lockdowns as we're in Melbourne as well, they're thinking of like, what can I do to better protect myself similar to what the thought process you had? And you've touched upon a few really interesting things here. And you, the main one was kind of your, your research and you had that little discussion with your friend, but what really helped you solidify that this product is something that could grow and it wouldn't just be like a fad? Did you do any research marketing? Did you look into your avatars more? I'd like to say I did. Um, I did that more after I started the Start and Scale course. So I, I kind of, I really just within about three or four weeks set up the website, hopped onto Instagram, um, listed the products. I, I think we sold our first product from an Instagram um fan within about an hour of being live but I really didn't solidify and go back and look at all of that until I started the start and scale course um, I think some of it probably came naturally to me because I've got a marketing background and I had done it with my other business but I really didn't sit down and and go through it in um, infinite detail until I uh, approached that part in the start and stale course and I actually found that part very very good and I went back and fixed up a lot of my copy and a lot of my wording um, based on my customer avatar and, and who they were and how I was talking to them and how they were going to convert on the website and it's still a work in progress like I'm still learning as I get more and more customers. Yeah, and I think it will forever be a learning process, which is really encouraging and also kind of helps you reiterate and kind of really nail your product. But I think you've already done such a great job already. But I would love to speak to you more about Instagram because you touched on it really quickly there where you just set up a page and you were lucky enough to, you know, have that sale. What were you posting to begin with? If you Did you already have your product or was it more inspirational type things that you wanted your brand to be like? Uh, it was probably more inspirational. I knew what our product was going to be, but it hadn't been launched. So I started to post cute pictures of dogs, um, posts that said peanut butter on it, and then some information on why peanut butter is liked by dogs and good for dogs. Um, so I guess I kind of kept it cute, educational, um, and started to bring myself into it a little bit to make it 
personal as well because I didn't I didn't have a, our dog had passed away so besides a blind cat at the moment I didn't have anything to really share um, from that regard but and you know the following was really small but the following still generated a couple of sales so um, and I learned a lot from that small following as well in terms of just how much dog owners love their dogs love to share their pictures of their dogs how they were sort of showing their dogs on Instagram how they were talking about their dogs you know as fur mums and fur babies and porsum and you know all of that sort of wording that I hadn't really been in that market I was a dog lover but I hadn't I'd never set up a page for my dog or anything like that in the past so not only did I build a little bit of an audience I learned so much from that audience and how I then needed to market as well. Yeah, really interesting. And I also love how Bo has been taken across too as like a little memorabilia and a little origin story, which is really, really lovely and touching for you as well, I'm sure. Um, I think you touched on something really great there where it's, you know, the whole how much people love their dogs and how much they want to show them on Instagram these days. And it's it's kind of like a trending product. When you were first thinking about your product, what was the first sort of product that you that you launched? Was it just a simple vanilla baking biscuit? Was it a cake? What were you kind of thinking to launch with and how did that go? It was basically we just launched with four flavours of a biscuit mix. So we launched with, uh, and I just named them kind of cute names that I thought I'd like. So Dem Bones, Pumpkin Donuts, Red Velvet Biscuits and Bobo Biscuits. Um, and that was really the four. So it was really just biscuit baking mixes. We've since launched a couple of other um, products to the range, but that's that's it for now while we sort of nail where we're at. Um but yeah, we just started off basically with a, a basic biscuit baking mix. Incredible. And how did you educate yourself on what ingredients really need to go into these, these biscuits? Because dogs can be intolerant to some things. They can really like some other things. How did you educate yourself and kind of manufacture these products? Uh, so I was lucky in a couple of ways. The lady who um, who I guess I kind of originally got a bit of an idea from who was doing the human baking mixes, she had a dog who had been, um, who had sensitivities. So they had had to go on a grain-free diet for their dog and she was a foodie. So she definitely cooked from scratch in the kitchen. I was a baking mix mum. I grabbed the baking mix out of the cupboard. I always bought high quality ones, but it was always a baking mix type of mum. So she kind of taught me a lot in regards to the base mix that we needed. And then it was just a bit of research initially asking Google, is beetroot toxic for dogs for our red velvet pup crates? Looking at what, um, you know, how much they can tolerate, what the, the benefits are, turmeric, cinnamon, all of those sort of ingredients. And then I actually think it was within the Start and Scale community, I posted that we had launched and I was contacted by an animal naturopath. So that was amazing and that kind of just fell in my lap because I had been thinking that I wanted to have a vet or, or some, I didn't know there were animal naturopaths at the time, but I wanted to have someone on board to support. And she went through all of our ingredients and pretty much gave them the tick of approval. So now when we have a new product coming out, if there's an ingredient that I'm a little bit unsure of, I'll just flick it through to her and get her feedback. I think that's incredible that you were able to kind of find that networking because the Start and Scale group is full of so many amazing and talented people like yourself. And I think having those connections can only make a brand stronger. And I think it's great that you can kind of lean on her for the support. So you've mentioned how, you know, it was kind of trial and error. Um, how did you land upon those four flavors as the ones that you wanted to launch with? Did you kind of give it and test it to other dog friends that you might have? Or you were just like, I'm just going to try it and see if it works? 
We kind of just winged it. Yeah, we didn't really test it. I mean, we had tested it on my girlfriend who does the baking mixes. We tested it on her dogs, but she only has two dogs. Um, I'd given it to my uncle, who's a dog lover. Um, but we really just winged it. And we kind of tried to do it based on what seemed like popular ingredients for dog lovers. Um, and then we just put it out there to see what would happen. And, you know, we've learned along the way. So initially we called the Red Velvet Red Velvet Pup Crepes and we noticed that that wasn't selling as fast as the others. But technically you can make crepes or bickies out of it. So then we renamed it to Red Velvet um, Bickies or Pup Crepes and now that's sort of gone up in terms of our sales. So we've just learned from, um, you know, looking at what people are buying, getting customer feedback. Um, and initially I emailed every single customer who bought from us within a couple of weeks just to say, Hi, did you like it? Did your dog like it? Why did you buy it? What did you think? What would you have liked different? Did it turn up messy? Was it neat? We learned a lot from that. We had been posting in bags initially and now we're posting in boxes. So I guess a lot of it was we just put it out there to suck and see how it would go. And then we listened to feedback and had a look at sales to sort of alter, um, alter it as we move along. And I believe that's such a smart way to do it because at the end of the day, getting direct feedback is what's going to help you grow because they're the ones that you hopefully will come back and get repeat customers out of, which is every Shopify owner's or any owner's dream. But you've briefly yeah, mentioned, sorry, keep going. I was going to say the funny thing is I was really nervous to email them. I don't know why, but I was very scared. What if they don't like it? What if they, you know, what if they get back to me and say it was terrible? I couldn't bake with it. The dog hated it. So I was really, really nervous. And I imagine probably a lot of people are um but the feedback was great incredible and i feel like as you touched upon your marketing background would have really helped trying to get that data driven approach and actually wanting to do those surveys what was some of the feedback that you did get back because you briefly mentioned how you changed your packaging was there any other really useful insights that you received from speaking directly to your customers uh probably not so much refining our recipe but improving how we communicate it um was was a big one there were a lot of people working with grain-free flowers is very different to working with gluten-based flowers that are more elastic and not so sticky so uh you know a lot of people who weren't necessarily foodies who bought the baking mixes initially would email and say is this right it's a bit sticky um so we kind of refined how we communicated that on our website the letter that we sent out with our packaging to say to be a bit educational you know working with grain-free flowers is different be prepared for this and this is what we do um and then yeah the way we were posting it out was a bit, bit of a big slap in the face for us in terms of it not <laughs> turning up in the most pristine conditions so we, we altered that pretty and was that more just kind of correcting the packaging that it came in or was it reducing the size of the box? What were the, the learnings on how to actually control how it was being delivered? Well, we were, I guess we went with the cheap option. So we were posting in Australia Post sort of plastic bags um, and they weren't necessarily, our packaging is is quite organic looking. So it's a brown, nice paper bag um, for food, obviously, but a brown, nice paper bag that's folded over and, and filled with the flowers um so it was getting there not damaged but very crunk very um look, look like sort of scrunched up paper really and a few people had sort of said that and then I saw someone share it on social media because like I said before they love to share it and I looked at the picture and went oh my god that just looks terrible it's all crunched so we then just decided that we would spend a bit more on Australia Post boxes basically and started sending it out in the boxes and it looks much nicer they don't get damaged it costs a little bit more but hopefully we'll get more repeat buyers 
out of it and better user generated content as well. Yeah, that was my next question. Have you have you found that you're getting a lot more customers with this new unboxing experience wanting to post and share on social media? Uh, yeah, we, we have actually. And it, within the course, it was interesting because um, Greta talks a lot about user generated content, which was not even, I'd never even heard of UGC before I did the Start and Scale course. Um, and I had started to put together, we've contacted about 40 influencers and I started to put together to send out influencer packs to them, which I just haven't had a chance to do yet. We're doing that this week. Um, but a lot of people were sharing their baking, their um, pictures of their dogs, loving it, um, stories, reels, all of that sort of information. And and the great thing was that we have a we've had a Facebook ad up and running, and a lot of them were sharing that feedback to our comments on our Facebook ad, which really just helped to ramp up the um, and improve the outcomes of our Facebook ad because there was all this great user generated content within that as well. Definitely. And I can imagine how that would just keep pushing the engagement on that ad, which means it would just share it and you'd have more people to retarget, which is what everyone's dream is. Yeah, exactly. So I would love to hear more about, you know, you're kind of lightning fast and now you're going back to the baby steps and influencers would be such a great brand because so many people own dogs. What's been your approach in actually connecting with these influencers? Are you doing it directly? Are you working through different agencies? Uh, no, I decided that because we were um, very new and very small that I would go for micro-influencers first. Um, so we kind of just, I reached out and contacted them directly based on just looking through their Instagram page, having a look at the type of people that were commenting, um, you know, was there good engagement there? Were their images nice? Was the way they were um wording their posts kind of in line with our ethos and what we do. Um, and then I really just sent them a private message saying, hi, I'm a mum of two, I've started this business, we're really passionate about dogs and I kind of made it really personal. And I think out of the maybe oh, 40 or 50 that I contacted, I didn't hear back from maybe four or five. The rest got back to me and said, yeah, send it out. We'd love to. A couple said, wow, I've never done anything like this before. They still had four or 5,000 followers. And then others obviously do it, have done it in the past. But I, I kind of tried to avoid those um, accounts that every second post was a promotional post. So I went for the more organic look and feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. And it goes back to the small business kind of outlook and wanting to really connect, connect and, and create that community, which I'm sure you would because dog lovers everywhere, there's Facebook groups, there's Instagram accounts, there's everything for dogs these days, which is really encouraging and a great source to actually find influencers for you. Are you just searching on hashtags to find them or are you looking at certain dog posts or maybe dog groups on Instagram? A bit of everything, really. I did uh, initially. I was really looking at, um, you know, Melbourne dogs, dogs of Melbourne hashtags, dogs of Sydney, um, and then a couple of people that I was j just got chatting to suggested a couple of other influencers that might be interested. And then when you start following one account, you you sort of deep dive into their account and you find a whole bunch of other accounts. So it was kind of. Um, you know, it was just sitting up for hours on end on Instagram, looking through and 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 trying to find who would suit best. And you know, I haven't done it yet, so we're we're about to send them out. So I'll let you know how it went after we've after we've actually done it. 
Hey there, Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. If you're enjoying From Zero to Founder and you want to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, then I highly recommend you also subscribe and check out the Founder Podcast. We talk to some of the most successful people on the planet to discover how they're building their businesses. So you can take a front row seat as we go deep and we learn from some of the founders of brands like Netflix, Dropbox, Reebok, and so many more, and how they built these companies. You can find the Founder Magazine podcast with Nathan Chan on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe. All right, now let's get back into the show. There's something that you mentioned earlier about partnering with charity, which is something that stemmed from your service business. What charities are you working with and how did you actually put that into your your marketing or do you kind of advertise that or is it more like a checkout scheme? No, we put it into the marketing. And I think I've learned that from my previous business because the charity side of things was 100% why I was in the previous business. So I guess in a, in a way within that children's market, I kind of got it known for, for being that business and charity connection. So we worked with Red Nose, we worked with the Alana and Madeline Foundation and some amazing charities. And I had some amazing connections on LinkedIn. Um, and then when I moved into this, I obviously put up that, Hey, I've started a new business on um, LinkedIn and, uh, a couple of charities in the dog space reached out to me. They're not relationships that I've formalised or finalised yet, um, but our first two donations were really just, the first one was Pets of the Homeless, um, and that's just because I love them. I love the I love the thought that homeless people can have that companion and that security and someone that they can love wholeheartedly, but they can get that support to feed them and, and get them looked after if something goes wrong or put them into foster home so uh, that was our first charity and then the second one was variety pet timber Um, and that's I've worked with variety through my previous business so that was just something that I really wanted to support and one of our customers had actually bought some biscuits and baked them to sell for pet timber so I thought well I may as well support my customer and um, donate there as well so I think that'll just be an ongoing process in terms of learning about um, new charities in the space and then really building it into what we do Um, sorry, long answer, but there was one other part that I also, I sent out an email each time we donated to the previous. So our first donation was $170. So I sent out an email to that 170 customers to say, this is what you've just contributed to. Um, And that when you purchase, you really are truly making a difference, not just to your dogs, but to other people's dogs and other dogs as well. And I got great feedback from that. So that will be an ongoing strategy. I think that's a really lovely strategy to have and it is just fostering that growth and that community awareness as well which I think is really really beautiful that you've done that is email marketing something that you're you're really focusing on at the moment to help educate and kind of connect with those customers it is um, and only because of the start and scale course again so I, I built a great database with my previous business but I never really used it properly and I never had something to sell to them so it was more just you know hop on and listen to our radio whereas this time I really feel like well obviously I have something to sell to them so we've got our our general abandoned cart flow set up I know Greta spoke a lot about post-purchase so we've set up a post-purchase flow and now at the moment I'm really doing weekly or fortnightly campaigns but I'm getting sales from every email that we send out so I'll keep growing that and building that as much as I can. Definitely and do you feel like your past experience in marketing helped you kind of create that email flow and the funnels to kind of help you get those sales or has it been a lot of testing and and trial and error? 
Uh, it's been a bit of both. I really did. I signed up to a lot of newsletters um, for not just dog businesses, but other other shops and stores. And I had a look at their post-purchase flows. Um, and I had a look at what I liked and what really spoke to me and what didn't. Um, and I, I like words. So I do, I do love to be able to type, um, you know, copy, whether it be for blogs or emails or marketing or whatever it, it may be. So, and I like to be a bit quirky with it. So I, I kind of combined what I'd learnt from others, other emails, and then a bit of Google. So what should actually be in the post-purchase flow, you know, asking for reviews, um, cross-selling, et cetera. So I tried to then incorporate all of that um, together. But the, I'm still learning from it. So I'll continue to change it and alter it as I go. Which is the beauty of having your own business because you can just keep changing and trialling and, and seeing what actually works best, which is very exciting. And you've mentioned that you kind of have like some fun with your, your email marketing. Do you have a particular tone of voice or the way you kind of present your brand on like emails and websites? Is there, do you use a lot of the dog jargon or slang? Yeah, we do. We do. I, I really like quirky um, marketing, I guess. So we do tend to, you know, our news, our newsletter is join the wolf pack. Um, uh, when they first buy, we we send out an email saying thanks for your awesome order. But we, we're trying not to get too cheesy with that either, because there is a lot of it. So um, I guess it's more just it, it's more playful and fun and quirky, um, which suits the dog's face. I think, and it suited the kids' face as well. So I guess I'm probably maybe gravitate to areas that that I like to market in, I guess, as opposed to the more straight up and down type of brands. Yeah, and I think it's that fine balance. And I, and as we've said over and over again, it is the trial and error and trying to find and see what works. And I think you're doing a really great job and your website looks incredible as well. But kind of circling back towards launching, what was that like? Because it happened really quickly for you. Was it within a month? Was it in two months? You know, the three month process where you were like, yeah, I'm ready. Or was it really to the nail and getting products and having that final product? And you just went, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. What was that process like? Yeah, I really just sort of said, I'm going to do it and see what happens. So I kind of felt we obviously had a bit of a base mix. Um, I spent a week or two researching what ingredients would go in it. But at the same time, I was already building the website. I had built a Shopify website for a, a my family members business so I'd kind of learnt through that I knew that I wanted a sort of crisp clean quirky looking brand with lots of cute dog photos so it was really a case of I think it probably took me two weeks maybe three I really should have documented it but two or three weeks from deciding I was going to do it to registering having the website set up having my Instagram set up and launching that's incredible. And I think that's true determination and grit because a lot of people can maybe sit on their hands and an arm and are, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's really inspiring to hear a story like you for those people that are listening, because there are people like that. They're like, I just want to launch something, but maybe I'm rushing or maybe I'm doing too quickly. But there are those people like you that absolutely know what they want to do and just smash their goals and, and let something launch. So Speaking about your launch date, how did your launch date perform and, and how did you feel finally having your products live? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say if I had have followed the start and scale process before I launched, it probably would have looked different. So we did have our first sale within, I think it was within, it was definitely within an hour. It might have been half an hour or so from launching. And I remember I was sitting in the car, I pressed you know, go and it was all ready to go. Um, 
And and that day I think we had just a few sales, but I was happy with that because I had kind of just really thought, I, I don't want to invest a lot of money. I know that the product is good, but I don't want to invest a lot of money in having it set up. So like I said, it was a Canva logo. It was all put up. I really just wanted to get it up there to see whether there would be interest in it and whether it would sell. And then knowing that I would tweak it as it went. Um, and probably the first four or five weeks, the sales were there every day. We haven't had a day where we haven't had sales, but they were definitely maybe only two or three a day initially. But that was enough for me to go, people are buying. I haven't put much into this. This is definitely something. Now I'll figure out how to market it properly, how to talk to my audience properly, learn about conversion rate optimization and all of those sorts of things, which I, I have done relatively quickly um, along the way. Definitely. And I think you've done a great job so far. And having a day we've had no like no drop in sales is is great. How does you work on growing from two to three sales a day to how many you're producing now? Facebook really adds. I think you've got to spend money to kind of make money, to be honest. So I, I initially thought that my influencer strategy would be the way to go. Um, and I still believe it is, but we started running Facebook ads and the sales kind of started to creep up. So it's not like we're doing heaps now. We're probably doing anywhere between 10 and 15 um, sales a day with an average order value of, you know, 30 or $40. Um, but it, um, it kind of really helped us to step into that that space um, and learn relatively quickly, you know, what, what audiences work, what audiences um, don't work. You know, there's dog lovers, there's popular, there's so many different audiences within the dog space that you can target to and, and what ads were working. Was it static ads? Was it video ads? Um, what type of copy was working and not working? And I'm glad that we did that process quite early because I feel like we're still learning, but we've learned a lot. And now when I couple in influencer marketing and some of our Christmas strategies, I feel like I'm not, I haven't gotten to a point where I go, oh, well, what am I doing next? Like I, I kind of feel I have um, things in place to continue to, to grow. Since having your Facebook ads, my first question is, do you have an agency or anything like that that helps you with ads or are you all doing in-house at the moment? We're doing it in-house. And I, I wanted to do it that way. Uh, I remember from my previous business, I had interviewed a number of people that had been very successful in business. And I said to them, what was it? Like, what was the one thing that kind of got you from here to here? And they said it was nailing their, their Google AdWords and their Facebook strategy. Um, so I kind of wanted to really learn that myself so then I can fiddle and I can play and I can be the one that nails it and grows grows it rather than paying others to do it but then not really understanding what's going on I just wanted to have the power to be able to do that myself and I think that's a great power to have because now you can keep growing and growing and knowing that you have the knowledge yourself to kind of execute those ideas and from your learnings have you found that images work better than video or what are some of the learnings that you've had so far in creating these ads we've found that video definitely works better um we've learned a fair bit i'd never retargeted before in my life i'd always just sort of run basic run-of-the-mill facebook ads um but obviously running our video ad and getting great user-generated content within that ad and getting lots of click-throughs to our website, we then had an audience that was visiting our website so we could retarget to them. So um, our retargeting ads work very, very well at the moment. And I'm sure as we continue to grow and have more and more people visit our website, that will probably you know, continue to be our most cost-effective form of marketing. And I assume that's the case uh, across the board. Um, 
And then we also learned, we, we, we dabbled into Pinterest and I did contact the sales team at Pinterest and sort of had them guide me through how to set up ads because I wasn't as familiar. Um, and I gave a good month's trial with that, but I spent a lot more money than we earned. So that I came to that pretty quickly after I felt that I'd um, tried that and had the support, but I could get Facebook working faster. Very interesting because Pinterest is, you know, obviously a channel that you can market to, but it's great to know that you tried it, didn't really work for you and, and you're just really focusing on Facebook. Have you used Instagram shopping much? Have you used Instagram ads much as well? Yeah, so our well, our Facebook campaigns are across the recommended, so um, or automatic, I should say. So it's Instagram and Facebook and all the other sort of um, assets that they have, and we just we only just set up um, Instagram shopping and Facebook um, shopping in the last three or so weeks. Um, I, I had set it up through Shopify, and um, then I kind of walked away and forgot about it, and I hadn't filled out all the forms correctly. So uh, it's only just really up and running. But we we still do get good sales through Instagram as well as um, Facebook, and I think Instagram is re- where we really talk to our audience and learn so much more. We don't get that through Facebook, but I sort of see Facebook as the ad side of things, and then Instagram is that community, um, that real community side. Yeah, which is great to have that difference as well between those audiences and have their purpose. And and since implementing the strategies behind your marketing, your Facebook ads, Instagram, et cetera, how have you managed to grow in revenue? What was your revenue maybe like before Start and Scale and how have you managed to grow that and how are you going right now? So, uh, well, when we first launched and we were doing roughly two or three um, sales a day, we and initially, we were also probably only selling one one product, even though we had four available. Most people were buying just the one. Um, now they tend to buy two or three and a cutter as well. We've added cutters um, to the shop. So we were probably doing, you know, $50, $60, dollars a day. Now we're doing anywhere and it's still, and I get so frustrated because it still seems so inconsistent. So we do anywhere from $200 to $600 a day. And initially our busy days were Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now they seem to be more Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So uh, I try not to panic. For a while there, when we had a quiet day, I started panicking. I was like, oh, my Facebook ads aren't working. I probably need to change them. I need to tweak them. But now I've kind of learnt to go with the flow week after week with the thought of my longer-term strategy of being growth. So I need to let the ads continue to run. Yes, tweak them, but not freak out every time I have a quieter day and stuff up the whole, you know, algorithm or whatever it is that I've built through the ads. Um, But it's growing, you know, and we put out an email yesterday for our Christmas um, biscuit mixes and that looks like that's going to be very popular. So that's something that we can add now to what we're doing as well as dog cakes um, for birthdays. So um, hopefully soon we'll be sitting at, you know, one to $2,000 days and then beyond. Which is very exciting. And I think it's great that you're thinking about increasing your average order value because at the end of the day, one person can check out and buy one thing or they can buy 10 things with little add-ons. And I think the cookie cutter idea is great because they're very cute. And who doesn't want to, you know, have an aesthetic thing for your Instagram if that's what you want to share or just to give to your dog because we love our animals. But I love that you, you've you kind of worked this whole system and, and you are looking at each day, but I think having a long-term 
outlook is really great too. And in terms of each day differing, how much are you kind of making per month if, you know, you, you were focusing on the minute days and the, the, the uh, discrepancies there? Are you finding there's almost like a flow with your monthly revenue? I'm hoping that that will start to be the case. So we've only been going for three months. You know, we, we did 100 sales in the first six weeks. In the following six weeks, we've done about 250 sales. So um, I'm hoping that I will start to see some consistency in the months. Obviously, in the first six weeks, the, you know, the monthly income wasn't huge, but now we're sort of sitting at around eight to $10,000 months. I'm hoping, I should say month, because we're, we're still so early in, but I'm hoping that that will be consistently there and consistently just growing month on month. Which is incredible and you should definitely be super proud of yourself. To have a three-month-old business and already having that 8 to 10K month is just incredible and a great testament to you and, and your product. But I would love to also know, like, what is in the future for Bose Biscuits? Because you are still so young. Have you got a three-month plan or a, a six-month plan or are you working just month by month at the moment? A bit of both, really. I, I kind of have a couple of... Um, goals in my head. So the first goal is to hit fifteen dollars to $20,000 months. Um, and the other goal is to grow the charity side of things and to think that within a couple of years, I can be close to donating that $200,000 um, to charity, which obviously means that we need 200,000 sales. So even though that's not necessarily sales orientated, it kind of is because I can't raise that money if I'm not um, making sales. And, and that's really how I'm doing the goal setting at the moment, just working it out on, okay, so how much do I want to try and what, what target do I want to try and achieve in the next three months? It's the fifteen to $20,000 months. What do I need to do to get there? How many do I need to sell? You know, we set up subscription um, for repeat purchases because we notice now that we have um, customers who have bought from us, they're coming back and they're rebuying, which is good. Um, and that will only continue to grow, but we wanted them on, a subscription so they're definitely coming back month after month or each quarter so we launched that a couple of weeks ago and that's something that we'll be continuing to promote and promote through our post-purchase flow um, as well. I think a subscription is such a great idea and as you mentioned it just helps and entices people to keep coming back which they probably already are doing manually. With your subscription service have you offered a discount or anything to also entice people to sign up instead of just having that one-time purchase? Yeah, so with the subscription, we offered 15% off. Um, and I figured I could totally do that because I'm not spending money on Facebook ads to try and get them in. They're, um, they're a customer that will come back repeatedly that are obviously a fan because they've subscribed to their order. So they're also more likely to share and take photos and all of those sorts of things. So 15% off to me seemed like a bit of a no-brainer. Um, and I felt like I needed to offer more than 10% because at the moment we have the you know the standard pop-up on the website, join our newsletter, get 10% off your first order. Um, and to get them to subscribe, I needed to do more than that. So um, that's why we went with 15%. And I think that's such a smart thing that you said and great advice too is you don't have to spend on Facebook to get these people back in. And that's a mentality that hasn't even really crossed my mind, which is really crazy to me because it is so simple as that is once you get them, they're going to keep coming back. You don't need to keep retargeting them and telling them to shop, which is incredible. And I would love to also know, do you have any other plans maybe in, in the far future or even near future for you and your growth to be in any pet stores or have stockists or what's the idea there? Yeah, we do. We, uh, I, I kind of launched thinking I really wanted to nail online first and I really wanted to understand that world and feel like I had 
all the pieces in place first. Um, but we have been contacted by pet cafes and dog walkers and um, pet sitters and we have done the odd wholesale order for them. Um, and I spoke to this lovely lady who has helped me at Australia Post and she runs the post office across the road from me and I said to her, look, I really want you to have our products in the post office because our products, I think they are quite quirky. So I really want you to have them in here to sell for your customers who are coming in for Christmas. So they'll be stocking them just in their local post office um, initially. But obviously, if that goes well, I'll contact Australia Post. And um, and I know that's not really a dog retailer, but Australia Post quite often has quirky products that are sort of um, quick for people to buy when they're in there posting their mail and need something for a Christmas present or to send off. Um, so, and everyone pretty much these days has dogs. So I thought that that was a good retailer to approach. And then we'd love to approach pet stores and sort of smaller independent retailers down the track as well, um, all within Australia. And then eventually, maybe we'll go overseas, hopefully. They're very exciting goals. And I think it's great that you just did that on your own whim and approach these, I guess, Australian post stores, because a lot of people will be waiting in lines. There has been some delays in Australia as well. So you browse a little bit more while you're waiting to pick up your parcel. And I think what you're doing with the Christmas idea is really, really great too, because gifting is something that you briefly touched upon. It's such an easy thing to gift if you know that your friends or family members have dogs, love dogs. Are you bringing out particular um, flavors or are you inventing anything new for this launch? Yeah, so we have we have red velvet biscuits already, but I decided that we would want I wanted to do red and green biscuits to really get festive. So we've we've created a limited edition pack which is merry red, merry red and merry green. Um, and they basically buy two five hundred gram packs. They have to buy the two, so it's um it's a you know a bulk sale I guess. Um, and they can make their red and green biscuits. So the green is definitely limited edition. And I think that, you know, I had a customer message me on Instagram last night saying, how limited is it? If I want to get another order in, when are you going to stop selling it? So I think the limited edition kind of really helped. Um, and when we launched it yesterday and a number of sales came through and there was a bit of feedback, I thought, oh, what are, what are we going to do in the future? There's Valentine's Day, there's Mother's Day, there's Father's Day. So um, I think we will do limited edition products for all of those special days. Definitely a great idea. You know, there's even International Dog Day, which would be massive for you. You can't forget that. Yes. So I definitely think you're onto something there with the theme days because, you know, some people might just want to celebrate with their dogs, which is something that I do, you know, having a bulldog and he is the best thing ever. So I can definitely relate to that as well with Christmas coming up. You want to treat them, but also treat your humans in your life as well, which I think is really great. And, you know, my last question that I'd love to ask people is if someone's listening to this and they might be in the same position where they have this idea and they really want to just get COVID safe or just want to kind of implement something new what advice would you be giving to them oh gosh um probably be strategic I think you know even though I have a marketing background I'm very data focused so and I think that you can get carried away with you know all the exciting fun stuff that you could be doing but if no one's buying it there's no point so unless you're looking at the data and you know the the audience that may be out there the size of the audience what they're buying you know even what they're searching for in google this I guess in a way kind of did start with me putting in grain-free dog food and seeing how many people were searching on it per month. Um, so really looking at the data and the numbers, um, I guess that might sound boring because we like to do the fun stuff, but I don't think you can get into the fun stuff unless you've done that work first. 
great advice and I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will be inspired by your story, but I wanted to thank you, Sarah, for sitting down and speaking to me about Bose Biscuits because it's a great brand and I'm really excited for people to, to learn more about it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, we hope you're loving From Zero to Founder and you're getting a ton of value from it. If you want access to the exact free training that led today's founder to where they are now, head to founder.com slash course training or follow the link in the show notes.